Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. Today we are diving into a topic that has been on our minds for a very long time, training tools and how to destigmatize their use in the dog community. So let's go. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with us, your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are discussing training tools and ways that we can work towards destigmatizing these tools and their use in the dog community. So we're going to start today by exploring what we mean when we say training tools, explore some examples, and maybe why or when they might be appropriately used. So let's dive right in. Ken's, what's our first example of a training tool? First up is a muzzle. So I'm sure we all know what a muzzle is for a dog. Um, And there are a bunch of different reasons why a muzzle can or should be used. Firstly is the safety for other dogs and humans. So this is without saying there are some dogs out there that just are either fearful, have, you know, um, reactions to certain situations and can put other dogs and or people at risk. So when you see a dog wearing a muzzle, um, that's usually, you know, uh, well, that is a very, very responsible dog owner that knows that, hey, maybe my dog just could at some point react in a negative way. And I'm going to stop that by having them wear a properly fitted safety device, aka a muzzle. Um, And the nice thing about a muzzle is just because you see a dog in a muzzle doesn't mean they have a bite history. They actually might be using it as a preventative tool. And muzzles can be a really great way for dogs that otherwise maybe wouldn't be able to participate in certain things, like let's say a pack walk. Um, But with the use of a basket muzzle can do that activity very comfortably and very safely and still have a super enriching life, which is amazing. Um, A couple of other reasons you might see the use of a muzzle. Obviously, when we're dealing with true aggression, um, if a dog has a bite history, the first thing any trainer or vet's probably going to recommend is muzzle training. Um, Some people use muzzles when they go to the vet or when they go to the groomer because if your dog gets stressed when they're being handled, um, there's definitely many, many, many dog owners that use a muzzle for this. You see this a lot with either pain or fear um, with dogs that will react with biting. And again, this could be the nicest, sweetest dog on the planet. But if the dog's in pain and doesn't know how else to react, then it's like us humans, like when we get touched when places were hurt, we're like, ow, don't touch that. That hurts. Mm-hmm. Dogs don't have the ability to say that. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to 
possibly turn around and maybe try and bite. Um, pain, pain. When your dog is in pain, they are often a different dog. So having them muzzle trained just from a first aid perspective can be so helpful. I can't imagine having to handle Marshall if he like broke his leg or did something really bad like that. There's no way he would let me handle him. Yeah. Um, so having him muzzle trained would allow me to do that safely and administer first aid or get him to the vet. Yep. And same with groomer visits. Like it's a fear thing. Some dogs do not like to be handled by a, a stranger sometimes. So uh, yeah, just having that um, tool available to groomers to to use is very important or else a lot of dogs out there wouldn't have their nails cut ever. So, um, that's a few examples. Um, one of the reasons that I use a muzzle is for dog sports. So, uh, you'll see this a lot in, well, it's actually a requirement in lure coursing. So the dogs do require, um, especially in straight racing to have a fitted basket muzzle on. Um, and this is so that a, the dogs don't hurt themselves or each other because they get really, really excited. They are, sometimes are running with multiple other dogs and at the end of the line. So when the, when the lure has reached the end, the dogs get really excited and instead of attacking a fake thing um so they're protecting themselves from attacking this fake piece of fur they're also uh saving themselves from attacking each other because again it's like pack mentality to get really really wild up and uh that is a reason um that that is a requirement so um yeah my dogs know how to wear a muzzle just for that specific reason and my yeah that's it there's i see absolutely nothing wrong with that they love chasing fake bunnies. Yeah. The other reason as well for muzzles is, um, anti-scavenging. So wildlife scavenging and food scavenging. So if that's something that your dog engages in, a muzzle can be like, you have to buy a specific muzzle for this, but that can be a way to keep them safe if they're, um, if they go on off leash hikes and if they're prone to getting into things, um, this can be a way to prevent them from ingesting something they shouldn't ingest. Um, but let's move on. Lots of other tools. So there are loads of tools that are used essentially for communication. So you're communicating with your dog and often to prevent pulling on walks. So these may be like a slip lead. So those are the ones you see around the nose, halties, harnesses, um, prong collars. Those are all used as communication tools in some way and can prevent pulling when on walks. Another tool is a martingale. Often these are used for safety reasons. So with a flat collar, it can be very easy for your dog to just slip right out of that flat collar. And now you have an off-leash dog with no collar and likely no tags. That's not ideal. A martingale, because it tightens when the dog pulls, um, basically it becomes an anti-slip mechanism so that they can't get out of it. So most rec rescues normally won't let dogs go home if they're not in a martingale um, to avoid a dog running away and going missing. Yeah, really great tool. My dogs always are on a martingale. Um, one other one that's really common and gets a lot of stigma is the e-collar. Um, a lot of people will call these shock collars. Um, there are bark specific e-collars. Um, this ultimately is a communication tool. You see people using this often for off-leash work 
Um, and it often provides an opportunity for you to communicate with your dog at a distance. So if you are doing off leash and if your dog sees a really exciting animal, um, you can kind of interrupt their train of thought using the e-collar, um, which in most cases can be much more effective than recall if they are properly conditioned. That said, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, air quotes, shock collars, e-collars come in many different qualities um, and they are not equal. So a $20 Amazon shock collar that has one level is probably not appropriate and likely could cause harm to your dog. Um, A proper e-collar that is recommended by a trainer and has a hundred levels is going to be a very different experience for your dog. And keep in mind, it's also like yelling, Hey, at your dog at different levels. So you can yell, Hey, at a very calm, low level, i.e. like a lower setting or yell, Hey, really, really loud on setting 100. It's just that thought of, uh, breaking that, that, that thought that is in your dog's head. So i.e. running at a squirrel and they're halfway, you know, at getting the squirrel and you hit the button, it says, Hey, stop. (laughs) And that's what a shock or e-collar is supposed to do. It's not supposed to hurt the dog. It, it, if anything, it just, it just gives them a little wake up call. That is all. Yeah. And on the working level that like, so Marshall and I've been working on condition. He's not fully conditioned to the e-collar yet, but we've done some work with it. His working level is a five out of a hundred, a four or a five. And when I put the e-collar on my forearm and I put it on four or five, I don't even feel it. Um, which is wild. I have to crank it up to like at least a 10 or an 11. And then you just feel like the slightest little tingle. It is, it's honestly just like a, a very weird stimulation sensation. It's not painful. Um, I don't know what a hundred feels like. I have not done that, but I don't intend to ever use a hundred on Marshall. So, um, yeah, just a note about quality, but the last tool, which I think a lot of us don't think of as a tool is a crate. Yeah. So a crate is number one for safety. Um, So when I'm going to just use an example really quick. I watched in the last week, I've watched three different dogs and two of them were crate trained and the two that were crate trained, I could comfortably put in their home that they knew and felt comfortable in, walk away from my home, do my grocery shopping or whatever I need to do, come home and know that those two dogs are safe and comfortable in where they need to be. Um, Dog three didn't have that. So I didn't feel comfortable leaving that dog home alone. Um, he was also young, but it, it, you never know. They could, that's not their home. They could find somewhere to, you know, get into, eat something inappropriate, even for my, like for my, for myself, poop somewhere, like whatever it might be. Um, it just keeps them safe. Um, and it gives us peace of mind and they know that they're safe being in their own little home. Um, another thing is this also does, which is really fantastic is set boundaries and structure. So if you have a dog that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily know off switch, what is appropriate. Yeah. An off switch. Yeah. I was just going to say what is appropriate or what is, what is, um, so I E a dog who, uh, decides like I am going to go at a hundred all day, every day. Um, the crate is just a really great spot to be like, Hey, calm. This yeah. is your calm spot. Rest decompress. Um, it can be such a great tool for that, but Overall, a lot of these tools that we've talked about today, you might have heard of them as referred to as aversives. Um, These are often banned from discussion in any like 
R plus positive reinforcement or force free communities. Um, many of those folks, unfortunately, aren't even open to a discussion about these tools. Um, it's just like a hard no. Um, but yeah, we've discussed a few of the training tools seen in the dog community and giving you an idea of what appropriate uses for them could look like, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to return with a discussion on why these tools get such a bad reputation and, um, how they really could hold some space and help out the dog community. We'll be right back. It is now time for a segment we like to call Celebrity Pup of the Week. So in this segment, we uh, choose a celebrity pup of the week, and um, we are, have partnered with our pals over at Victor Rose Pet Photography, and um, these pups who we've chosen um, get to go into a bracket to potentially win a mini photo session with them, which is a very, very exciting. Um, so if you would like your dog to be uh, featured as a celebrity pup of the week, please tag us and all the fun things you do with your dog. Uh, tag us on Instagram at dogfriendlykw. All right. So Justine, who is our celebrity pup of the week? Yeah. So this week we have Obi the Aussie. So O-B-I underscore the underscore Aussie. And Obi is a black tricolored Australian shepherd. Um, Obi was born in March, so still pretty young. Um, but Obi has been coming out to lots of our events. I have some cute pictures here of Obi at um, Barks and Brews at Mutts on Main. Um, Obi's living his best puppy life. Um, but yeah, he's so cute and he's been coming to so many of our events and, uh, yeah, I'm just loving all of these photos and, uh, Victor actually has already snapped a number of very cute pictures of Obi at Together We're Better at TWB a couple of times. So uh, I'm sure Obi would love to get into the studio and get some pictures. So congrats, Obi. You are this week's Celebrity Pup of the Week. Welcome 
welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we are talking about destigmatizing and unpacking the crazy world of dog training tools. Yeah, so why do training tools get such a bad rap? So we often hear this like rhetoric that training tools are cruel. This stems from everything from prong collars to even crates to e-collars, um, you know, crating your dog while you're not home, cruel, using a prong collar, cruel. Oh, your poor dog's wearing a muzzle. Must hurt. Oh. Not necessarily the case. Um, some of the reasons they get a bad rap, um, poorly made products. <laughs> so we mentioned this in the first half of the episode. So not all e-collars are made equally. Not all prong collars are made equally. Same with muzzles, right? You have to buy quality products that are recommended by trainers, um, that we know are good for our dogs. What else, Ken's? Um, Inadequate or inappropriate use of the tools is a big one. So you need to condition your dog and a lot of these tools um, in baby steps. This is key. You can't just throw on a e-collar and expect your dog to know exactly what that means. Of course, they're going to be like, whoa, what is this? I don't know what is happening. (laughs) It takes a lot more than just that. Um, Yeah, note about the conditioning process that e-collars and the process of training with the prong and the muzzle are not easy sometimes. Um, This can be a long process that your dog needs to adjust to. Um, Just take your time with it. Uh, Don't rush it. Again, once the tool is being used, it will make the world of difference. Uh, we've seen it in um, dogs that are in our close dog circle. Like There are so many dogs that wouldn't have the opportunity to enjoy a dog, normal dog life without some of these tools as well. So just know that these owners know what's best for their dogs and are doing the right thing. Um, but lastly, Justine, you love this one, inappropriate fit. Yeah, it's so, so prong collars especially are one, I think e-collars are the same, but prong collars are really the obvious one. Um, They have to be fit a particular way and they have to be pretty snug. And you think that a tight prong collar might be cruel or mean, but it's actually really unsafe to have a loose prong collar. And when they are loose, you actually can cause damage. Um, You should just be able to stick one finger underneath your individual, like one individual prong of the collar. Um, And that is it. You shouldn't be able to put any more than one finger underneath there. Um, Improperly fit muzzles. Again, like if your dog is wearing a basket muzzle, they should be able to eat, drink, pant. Um, If they can't do those things, um, then that muzzle probably isn't comfortable for them. So making sure that you consult with a trainer, somebody who is knowledgeable and knows how these tools should fit your dog um, so that you can make sure you're using it effectively. Um, So another thing we also hear, Ken's, we hear this all the time, um, is to do your own research Or, you know, the research says that training tools are bad. And this actually is not true. There is very, 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 very limited peer-reviewed research and literature on aversives, training tools, and their proper use 
um, with adequate support from a trainer. It The research isn't there. A quick search on Google, you will find loads of opinion-based blogs and articles with headlines like, the shocking truth about e-callers. Training is not regulated. You are often hearing someone's biased opinion about a tool. Biased opinions are not research. No, they are not. One one more time for the people in the back. (laughs) Your opinion, my opinion, is not research. So what does the research actually say? So in 2017, a review in the Journal of Veterinary Behavior on the effects of using adverse training methods in dogs found that many of the studies had issues with their methodology. Among them are small sample sizing, missing data on effect size, possible bias when coding behavior in observational studies. Okay, so in addition to that one, another review from the Applied Animal Behavior Science Journal, which was also in 2017, concluded that generally the published studies suggest that the use of aversive-based methods is correlated with indicators of compromised welfare in dogs, namely stress-related behaviors during training, elevated cortisol levels, and problematic behaviors such as peer and aggression. However... There are a number of limitations that prevent any strong conclusion from being drawn in these reviews. So first thing they found was a considerable proportion of the studies relied upon surveys rather than objective measurement. Second, they focused on subpopulations of police and laboratory dogs and thus only represent a very small portion of dogs undergoing training. So either dogs that are under training 24-7 or dogs that get zero training. Yep. Um, So also the empirical studies have concentrated mainly on the effects of shock collar training, which is only one of several tools used in aversive-based training. And in some studies, the description of the training methodologies lacks detail. So overall, all this to say, we did not complete an extensive review of the literature However, it would appear that quality research in this area is significantly lacking. So owners and dog trainers even are really left to make decisions based on anecdotal evidence, personal experience, and the experience of those around them. Boom. Woof. Drop my mic. Wow, that is a lot of information. Um, But it is all subjective dog ownership is extremely subjective it is yeah it's again build your own adventure with your dog um but don't judge others for the adventure that they choose to take with their dog preach sister (laughs) all right so let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with some tips for dog owners to assess if the use of these training tools might be right for them
you've been listening to the Dog Friendly KW podcast. And today we've been discussing all things training tools, the stigma associated with them, and the research or lack thereof on this topic. So before we wrap up today, we wanted to share a few questions you could ask yourself to assess your use of a training tool. So, Ken's, I'm thinking about using a training tool or I just started a new tool. What are some things I could kind of ask myself to reflect on this. All right. Well, the first thing is why am I using this training tool with my dog? So what is the purpose? What do I hope to achieve with using this tool? And through that, am I looking for a quick fix? Mm-hmm. Am I looking yeah. for a band-aid or am I using this as a very productive tool to build my relationship and improve my relationship with my dog? There's no such thing as a quick fix with a dog. I'm sorry. It really isn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, the next one is, um, have I consulted with a trainer? So a lot of these tools um, are best suited with use uh, with a trainer. Um, they know exactly um, how to coach you through the use of this or of each of these training tools. Um, highly, highly recommend you connect with a trainer if you are thinking about using one of these tools. Um, they'll they'll be able to walk you through step by step and ensure that you're making the best use of the tool and that your dog is very um, much um, accepting of that tool. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing to consider is, you know, do I understand how to properly introduce and condition this tool? And am I prepared to put in the time to do this properly? So when I transitioned Marshall to the prong, we spent about a month indoors getting him super comfortable and confident on the prong before we even stepped outside because I wanted him to feel so confident and under he understood what the pressure of the prong means from me before we even go outside and add in different distractions and layering all those things in. Yeah. So the next one is, do I understand the options on the market for each tool in which are made to a higher standard and quality that is suitable for my dog? So quality over quantity, you get what you pay for. Um, I think that's the key thing with a lot of things in life, but with when it comes to your dog and the tools associated with your dog, um, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, you get what you pay for. Um, do your research onto what the tool uh, will provide for your dog, and just ensure that you're you're getting the right tool that won't harm the dog. Yeah, if you're buying an e collar and if it's less than two hundred dollars, don't. <laughs> because the good ones are expensive and those are the ones like if you want a proper e-collar um they're expensive the good ones are expensive and trainers will recommend there's one brand they recommend and that's really it those little yellow round ones are the ones that they recommend to everybody so um the next thing you want to think about is how will I continue to assess if this is the right tool for me and my dog so just because you use a tool with them now doesn't mean you're going to use it forever. You might transition to something different, um, and that's okay. Our journey with our dogs is ongoing, and it's okay for things to evolve. Yes, it is. Dogs change all the time, just like people. Um, and lastly, what is the ultimate goal of using this tool? So again, we kind of take all of everything we've just said and smoosh it all together. What is your ultimate goal? What 
what do you hope to to gain? What do you hope for your dog to gain from using this tool? Um, that is just the big picture question. So walk into using a tool um, with this question. Um, again, a trainer might be able to help you steer you in the right direction with this question. Um, but this is what what do you hope to to get out of it? Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, we're not here to sway you one way or the other. We just like to really explore topics and help people understand that there are so many different viewpoints and there's so many different dogs and it's not black and white and there isn't necessarily one right or wrong way. And in the absence of really quality research and evidence, we really are left to just lean on our relationship with our dogs and trust that we know them the best and trust that we are doing what is best for them. So if you've chosen that tools aren't for you, amazing. If you've chosen that tools are for you, amazing. That's great as long as you and your dog are both happy. That's it. You nailed it on the head. Well, there you have it. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today to the Dog Friendly KW podcast. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. that many of the studies had method okay hold on had methodology fudge oh my methodological god issues with their methodology i'm i can't say that had issues with their methodology among them are small samples wow are you okay <laughs> Your face.